0: Namaskar. Two Indian Americans discussing US foreign policy. What has this world come to? Well, we'll find out soon enough. We have with us Sri Vibhuti Jha, who is running for New York State Assembly. and I thought he would be the most fit person to pose this question. What is United States foreign policy? Is it clear? Is it crystal clear? Or is it a muddy mess? So without further delay, let's bring in our guest of the day, Sri Vibhuti Ji. Ja. Vibhuti Ji,
1: Namaskar and welcome to P. Guru's channel. What a what a beautiful pleasure to be with you uh, sitting in California with a Washington, uh, with a, the with a United States Congress right behind you. And uh, I'm sitting in New York, California, New York, Long Island. So Muddy mess or clear? (laughs) (laughs) So, um, I'm just going to put up a cartoon that was
0: playfully uh, made by Ben Singer, I think, and uh, Andy Andy Singer. Andy Singer. So, uh, this is one way to look at US foreign policy. And I thought it'll be a good starting point for our viewers to try and see how uh, US usually sets out its foreign policy. Of course, this is in satire. Um, so, we would like to hear your viewpoint um, as a Republican candidate. How do you see uh, the United States foreign policy? And then we can take it from there.
1: Uh, thank you. Thank you very much. By the way, satire always serves a purpose. There is There are significant elements of truths in satire. And, uh, you know, whether it's a bloody mess or whatever, uh, there was a famous satirist, P.J. O'Rourke. Yes. Who in uh, who in here in new york in Waldorf of astoria made a comment that the united states will forever have a big problem in organizing two things having a comprehensive immigration policy or a sensible foreign policy and he gave the reason that we are everybody here is a goddamn to- foreigner <laughs> <laughs> so when you talk about everybody being foreigners, so just imagine if Sri Ayerji was the Secretary of State, I'm sure he, he, his philosophy and the conduct of foreign policy will be based from his prism of things. If it was a Chinese, a Latino, or a Brit, or an Australian, each one will look at the foreign policy or immigration policy from their prism and perspective. That is one big challenge the United States faces. On the other hand, you look at the Olympic Games and the contingent of United States is indeed, you know, represents the world in many ways. You know, athletes from various parts of the current world who live here are American citizens. They present such a beautiful rainbow, if I may say so, of colors you know, people participating in the Olympic Games. The only country that displays as significant, uh, you know, a sub- assembly of various different kinds of people is Indian contingent. Of course, ours is not a large contingent as yet, but India produces that kind of a diversity. So we have to look at the foreign policy from a very interesting Sanatan principles. You know, what we call in our philosophy, you, we need a Sastra, Shastra and Arth. <clears throat> to become a Vishwaguru. What is the requirement of becoming a Vishwaguru? You need Shastra, Shastra, and Arth, all, strength in all and implementing all these philosophies via institutions built around you. So what you have in the US is Earth, <clears throat> Shastra, and they impose their Shastra or whatever through their institutional framework of Pentagon, CIA, embassies, and Institutions created like Hollywood, you know, uh, Hollywood, as well as Pulitzer Prize, Emmy, Grammy. Think about it. Every single individual in the world wants to have the recognition of the West, which is essentially American recognition, by winning a reward, award, or a recognition from one of these institutions. So they have created that. But the implementation of that is very, very significant. So is it in a mess? Yes, it can be in a mess. Is it very clear? The policy seems very clear, considering that chart that you had put up earlier on. That Whether you are in a mess or you are very successful is a function of who you are dealing with at what point in time.
0: Um, From my experience of having lived in the United States for over 30 years with Bhutiji, One thing I've noticed is whenever there is a Republican government in the White House, um, the foreign policy appears to be a little bit clearer than when a Democratic government is in place. I'll give you a simple example, sir. You see the uh, Biden administration and again, I'm an independent, I'm just observing this. So please don't construe my opinions as being uh, based on one party or the other. If I look at the Biden administration, they opened the gates for illegal immigration for a while, and then they said only these countries can come in. People from these countries, we are not going to allow. So I, I felt that was a very, very odd statement. Either you are going to say that fine for uh, uh, under the Trump administration, the the doors were the uh, the immigration border was sealed. Now we are going to you know uh, open that lid and let people in or you say that we'll continue the Trump policy, which is what the Biden administration ended up doing. So you see how this thing, first, they said that we are going to allow everybody. Then they say, no, not people from Cuba. Somehow, Cuba people were not considered uh, immigration worthy or illegal immigration worthy, I should say, that got stopped. Then finally, they are doing exactly what the Trump administration was doing. So this is the kind of Back and forth foreign policy uh, decisions that the Democrats appear to make, whereas with the Republicans, if I remember correctly, Steve Bannon had said that Trump Doctrine had three—it was a three-legged stool: no unnecessary wars, no illegal immigration, and uh, tariffs for those countries who are not playing by the rules. And and whether Steve Bannon, steve Bannon only lasted like six months or so in the Trump administration. Even beyond that, I believe that the Trump
1: administration stuck to that. Your thoughts, sir. I, I first of all, I want definitely wanted to thank you for supporting the Republican agenda and the f- policy framework. And you are absolutely correct. Thank you. The reason is very simple. The Republican Party has, as I have studied, they have a defined policy. They have a framework, you know, mm-hmm. which is the which is the definition is that you want people to come to America become successful, right? Work hard. That is the fulfill your American dream. There is a particular given policy, both economics and political as well. The economic policy comes from be productive, work hard, and you achieve your American dream, which makes you happy, and you pursue your life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness in that manner. The Republican Party also has a very clear policy is about being business driven. 90% of the US economy is in the private sector, right? From whether it's a Walmart or, you know, the large corporations or mom and pop shops. So as a result of which when your capital, which is a major element of business innovations, growth and everything else, when you preserve and protect and use the capital efficiently, it, prov- it brings about economic welfare, economic prosperity. And when economic prosperity happens, then when the earth becomes common or strong, then your Shastra and Shastra begin to flourish. Democratic Party, if you look at seriously, and I want all people, whether you are Democrat or Republican, we are all Americans. So if you look at the Democratic uh, Party policy, they have no policy. They have agendas. And there's a huge distinction to make. The agenda is what? Come one, come all. They indulge in emotional diatribe, you know, help the poor. Not that, who wants, who doesn't want to help the poor? One is famous saying, give the man a fish or give him fishing ability. Right. That's the point, which is the Republican Party is on that side. The Democratic Party is all about. We will give you the dole. We will give you the support. You be here. Vote for me. You are talking about immigration policy. That's exactly what is happening. There is a time, you know, like I, I break it down based on Einstein's famous philosophy, quote, that it is any intelligent fool can complicate a simple problem. It takes courage to move in the other direction. So let's put it this way. There is a time and place for every philosophy. So if we break down the immigration challenge as a rudimentary silly example of we, when we host a sweet 16 for our daughter or a big wedding for our son or daughter, there is a guest list, right? If you are calling 500 people, the 500th number, depending on the ability to pay, size of the hall, requirement and the management of the whole thing, you restrict the size of guests to 500, right? And you choose who comes, who, who makes up that list. I may be 501, doesn't mean I'm not your friend. That's very important to figure out. But when you host a wedding a wedding party or you a, a, anything like that, there is a food there is drink or whatever is served. It doesn't mean it's open for one and all. You know, you can't get crash, you can't be a wedding crasher and expect that, you know, come one, come all. That's must apply to the expanded. It applies to the country as well. What kind of people do we need now? My need for people was different hundred years ago Now it is different. I needed assembly line workers. I needed farm workers, but now I need highly competent technology coordination workers who can work on those to come here. So do I have a right to manage my immigration policy accordingly or not, is the important point. Philosophy and strategy must change. And that's the issue. You talk about same immigration policy America has, India can't have. Uh, Czech Republic is no longer existing, but Slovakia can't have. Look what is happening in Europe. It is being inundated. So you have to, one policy doesn't work all the time. It has to be fine-tuned. We are all using this today. It was not there 20 years ago, correct? And we paid $3.50 for a call to India at that time. Now it is live talk is free. Video, high quality video is free. So if we do not fine-tune and adjust according to the changing times, policies need to be changing. Policy needs to be modified. And I'm, you are totally right. Thank you very much for stating it again. Now Trump wants to build the wall. You know, this is another incident, very tragic incident. The uh, woman's NBA player, she's caught in Russia smuggling drug, right? She admits it, and she's a nine-year term for her punishment. She has got jail. Now, the entire USA is talking about unjust. I do not know the just or unjust part of it, but the event on the face of it is very tragic. The player admitted, right? She violated the laws of Russia. She knew exactly what she was doing. She called it a stupid mistake, right? A, A genuine, horrible, stupid mistake. Now, when you make a mistake, there is a consequence to your action. The result has to be that we can't say, oh, she was, she's being a harsh punishment given. That's the law. Remember a few years ago, when a young American went to Singapore and spray painted the wall, he, he paid the penalty for that. At that time, US was saying that it was too harsh a penalty. Who determines that policy? Who determines the extent right of the existing countries? And now we are living in a, in a and here we have immigrants, walking from the South, carrying drugs. We know the infiltration of drugs has happened. We have a policy of a a cashless bail program and they go away. this is the issue that the United States needs to be very clear upon, particularly it is in a leadership role around the world. People look up to this country, whether you hate it or you like it, people from all over the world will be willing to give an arm and a leg to come to this country as yet. So you must have to be a leader in setting the example. Yeah. So um, we're
0: looking at an interesting uh, scenario in 2024. Ji. let us say that Nancy Pelosi decides to throw her hat in the ring for the United States president. And let us say Mike Pompeo becomes the U.S. presidential candidate on behalf of the Republicans. Then you'll have a very interesting dilemma for China. Both these people are banned by China. And, and that is considered as a disqualification yeah. for running for president in the US politics. I'm just telling Mota Mota, you can agree right. with me, you can disagree with me because they say that the money bags won't you know, put their money behind somebody who's banned by China. That's an important deal, I believe. Whatever it is, if you think something like this happens, how do you think the United States uh, voter is going to react?
1: I think I as a voter and I'm 100% sure you as a voter won't give a damn what China thinks. Let's put it this way. you know. Even Mr. Modi was banned from coming to this country. Look what happened when he became the prime minister. US rolled out the red carpet. So these are political alignments. And I would say that the hypothetical of uh, you know Mike Pompeo or Nancy Pelosi contesting the election is, I don't think that's even a challenge for American voter. I think the average voter, I mean, it's a very interesting thing to recognize. Nobody likes China anymore. And I believe that, you know, as a PR exercise, as a leadership exercise, how is that President Z is not seeing through that his strong arm tactics, his, uh, you know, killer contracts and all this kind of stuff has made China a really unliked entity in the world. Any given time, I mean, that's, it's a pity that India is not taking full advantage of that psychological framework because we are loved. Every single Indian immigrant is loved immigrant in any part of the world. We have not brought through our Shastra into the practices, Shastra in the practices of the global economy. People love us as an immigrant to the, in their country. We are not a law and order problem. We are not an ideology problem, you know, but then we haven't done our job well enough to convey that message. Whose fault is that? We can't fault the rest of the world. In the US context, I totally believe that whether it is nancy Pelosi and mike pompeo it will not matter china will have to adjust and you know by this particular entire taiwan issue that has happened you can we can all question we can all question the validity necessity legality or otherwise of nancy Pelosi's visit but it you we all have to agree it was a gutsy step right and what was important here is that the rest of the world and particularly indians must know must note that even republican party supported that visit with a with a with with the entire statement that we cannot let china bully us right sanctity ethical moral is totally different issue that us spent a boatload of money with the navy might and air might to escort Uh, Nancy Pelosi to Taiwan for two hours or six hours of a meet there asserting friendship but if they are going to carry the message of anti-autocrats anti-dictatorship if they are going to talk about the message of democracy we have to you and I Democrats and Republicans will have to hold Nancy Pelosi to the highest standard does America support autocratic or dictatorship or military regime of say Pakistan for that matter vis-a-vis India does the united states support afghanistan a religious terrorist nation that was hiding and sheltering zawahiri vis-a-vis india that's important in that chart there is an element of friends united states has to recognize in my opinion the united states has to recognize that when you those who are your friends you treat them better this is what is important is to figure it out that you don't take your friends because generally speaking, you and I know India is, in my opinion, and I have said it before, and I say to people who matter, that if there is any country that is an authentic well wisher of America, it's India. It is India because you may say, you know, strategic allies and you may, you know, flower it with many choice words, but unless and until something effectively is done to handle India's enemies. It is impossible to expect India to reciprocate because we are a growing country. And at this point in time, I believe, I have said so before, I'll say it again, that this era belongs to India and Sanatan. It's for us to take that message forward because there are recipients and listeners to our thoughts. The challenge is that we are not communicating as a community, as a country. Our our institutional framework is rather weak. And that's what is, is. A, we have to have that institutional framework that conveys that message.
0: You're spot on, Vibhuti Ji. In fact, there is a message for the opposition parties in India. See, when Nancy Pelosi visited Taiwan, the nation, that is the United States, right. spoke as one voice. The Republicans stood solidly behind, supported her move. Right. And when the Bala court strikes happened, all the opposition did was show us proof see there are things where you need to speak with one voice and i'm hoping that this message again you know is heard by some of the opposition people in india listen you whenever it comes to a nation versus nation you got to speak the voice of the country the government in power whatever the decision they make because it affects both you as well as the other party it's something like that anyway uh, it's a very very uh, Profound statements uh, from you, ji I think the the important point I think we we're trying to say is, of course, you look at that flowchart at the very end. You will see two things: success or failed state, and, and you you have to take both with a pinch of salt. Um, as a as a country, you know, uh, United States may have a few you know questionable deals that it makes. For instance, there is talk that. Uh, the agreement with the Taliban. There were four secret annexes that have not been shared, and in one of them was, you know, had to help Taliban essentially contain Pakistan the other way around. Now, and 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 whether this is happening or not, we don't know. And also whether Al Zawahiri was given up because IMF said that you know it's a quid pro quo deal that if you want our loan chunk, trash of 1.25 billion, uh, you need something. You have to give something in exchange. I don't know. This is again something that's been talked about. Uh, but going forward, you know, again, the Republican Party appears to be very clear in how it wants to look at India and US India relations. But with the Biden administration, there was some flip flopping in the beginning. But now it appears to be more or less along the same lines as how perhaps the Trump administration looked at India.
1: What are your thoughts, sir? I will, I I have one thought regarding that is that, you know, Democratic Party, you know, giving them the benefit of doubt, they were indeed ticked off with Mr. Modi and Mr. Trump. They hated Mr. Trump, which is more than obvious. And uh, they were ticked off with Prime Minister Modi for their overt and open friendship that they showed to each other. You know, the Houston big, big Mela, Howdy Modi yeah. in Ahmedabad. You know, these were Abki Bar, Trump Sarkar. That definitely ticked off the Democratic Party to some extent. And they were hell bent on teaching Modi a lesson. They were hell bent on teaching Modi a lesson. And consequently, you knew that it was uh, India as well. So every single action that Modi ji was taking to bring about social reform, political reform, economic reform, They were all branded as anti-X, anti-Y, and anti-X. So there were three planks of that attack. Minorities, Islamic Muslim discrimination, and not taking all the people together, a human rights issue. So Prime Minister Modi's every single effort was attacked on these grounds by you-know-who. I don't need to name them here including the Indian Democrats who are in the House in the Congress. So even, no, nobody supported that. The point with the matter is that the Democratic Party was ticked, ticked off and they had a sustained, planned, vociferous, resolutions passed, money paid, I'm told, millions of dollars were paid for municipalities to pass the resolutions, right? And we began to get scared of that well, India was not saying anything about it. That's the issue that is important. But what has happened is that since 2014, we all know that it's, it is it is a truth that India's public persona, the global image, has made a huge difference. The perception and reality have come together. That India means business has been accepted by the rest of the world. Prime Minister Modi went even to Mongolia. Or countries that nobody had ever visited before and that was done with a very serious intent to create India's acceptance in the global community of nations as a result of which India had very great economy frustration with China was going big at the same time people recognize that there is a rule of law in India whether it works to your satisfaction or not there is a rule of law regardless of what the whatever the chaotic situation may be it works. After all, people of India voted with great determination to put a particular man in power in the office. So this particular thing was very important and the world recognized that. So as a result of which, Quad, the global presence, China containment, everything began to play a crucial role. And India has become a critical nation in that part of the world for varieties of domestic and international needs of United States. So now you notice nobody's talking about India's domestic matter. No Premila Jaipal, no Rokhana, nobody talks about it 370 or whatever. I mean, as we speak today is a great day for 370 being abrogated and everything that has happened. Kashmir got in, getting in, integrated. There is a celebration. That's the important part to recognize for America, too, that, hey, come hell or high water. These Indians have a contribution to make to our American society, including the valuable contribution the people do in Silicon Valley or Seattle or New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, wherever we Indians are, we are contributing to this society very handsomely. And unless and until, this is a lesson which I learned in my days in American Express, and this I want to share with all, you, all of you, that my boss once told me That I believe you are the one who designed these two, three, structured these two, three products. I said, yes, I was. I did. And he said to me that, why didn't you tell me? It's not about blowing your trumpet or blowing your horn or beating your drum. It's just letting me know. Because what happens is success has many claimants. And many people are telling me that they are the ones that they must get a bigger bonus because they put this whole thing together. But whereas it is you. And he said to me that lesson. That unless and until you tell me what you are doing, how would I know? Why would I have the time and patience to figure it out, really? So so that's what is important for us Indians in America to do. Make ourselves seen, heard, visible and assert ourselves. Swami Vivekananda's call was never more appropriate as it is today. Arise, awaken and assert. And to which I add my fourth A, Vibhuti Jha's fourth A, act. Because if you don't act, none of it matters. So my request to all Indians is become vocal, participate in the domestic policies, policy making, politics, parents, teachers association, get going there. You know, get involved. You, you know it. California is a leader in setting the, um, you know, what you call uh, education policies. I mean, you know, Kona did a particular show and they showed how the textbooks for children are being done. If we don't contest that, and if we just accept it lying low, then it hurts us. So it's time for us to get active.
0: Absolutely, Vibhutiji. And that was a wonderful exchange of thoughts here. And uh, I wish you all the best in your New York State Assembly. This is your first time uh, as a, contesting as a politician, right?
1: Yes, it is. It is
0: for the it's first wonderful, time. Wonderful. And I
1: operate on a seven-year itch in my work life. I will share that with you. <laughs> It is always configuring. Who am I? What have I done? What am I doing? And what next? And in the process, I realize that if you do not participate in the process, then you get marginalized.
0: Yes. Yes. So true. And uh, viewers, please uh, like, share, and subscribe to our program. And do click on the bell button for notifications. We are happy to tell you that we hit the critical 200,000 mark. And we are on our way now to the half a million mark. And I notice often that one in two of you are not still subscribers to this channel. I would urge you to subscribe to this channel. Also support Vibhuti Ji's uh, candidacy. If any of your relatives or, are in uh, the area from where he is contesting, uh, Long Island area, uh, you 16,
1: you can... District 16.
0: You yeah, can just Google
1: S- and find out District 16. You will know exactly what it is. Yes, yes. Yeah. But, but and, to and, washington sands point manor haven villages you have manhasset great nick rosalind estates rosalind heights and some parts of uh, new Hyde park as well yeah, yeah. thanks so you. Thank um, you for- do,
0: do support him in his endeavor this is not easy and uh, i i want him to you know keep trying until he makes it i'm not saying that you're not going to make it the first time but this is say let us say you become state assembly i would like you to go for congressman and then senate and then who knows where else so that that, that is how i always look at uh, these things you, some you play for the the long game and and i wish you all the best uh, vibhuti ji and it's always thank a pleasure you. and honor to talk to you sir and viewers once again thanks for listening and please do consider uh, you know contributing to our cause by clicking on the super thanks button namaskar
1: namaskar thank you for having me